Hi guys, this is Fatal Tales. My name's Katie. And I'm Azra. And this episode was a nightmare to put up. We have had so many technical difficulties, and I'm terribly sorry that we're a full week late, but um, there wasn't much to be avoided. No, we've already recorded this entire episode one time before, and then the entire audio for it was fucked up, and then we tried to record it again, and it didn't work, and it's just been a whole nightmare, and we're not gonna get too much into it, because Kate and I will both probably cry if we talk about it too much, but... I hope that this works. This is our third time trying to sit down and record this episode. Hopefully you guys like it, and hopefully this is all worth it. (laughs) I mean, if nothing else, this is a show of our perseverance. So Yes. Yes. We fucking tried for y'all. You're welcome. We did try very hard. Um, Today is one of my tinies. I'm going to be telling you guys about Ed and Lorraine Warren and katie already knows all this information now because we've like i said we've already recorded this whole episode one once before but she's gonna pretend to be sufficiently surprised at all the information i talk about (gasps) what yeah exactly just like that (laughs) um so yeah ad and lorraine warren uh were a demonologist and a clairvoyant who were married they were featured in the conjuring movies they were kind of like the ghost hunters in the conjuring movies that's kind of where most of you probably know them from that's kind of where my interest in them kind of started um they're pretty fascinating some people really like them some people are very skeptical of them think that they're making up a lot of the things that they have looked into but yeah, so I'm going to talk kind of about first who Ed and Lorraine Warren are. I'm going to talk about their backstory a little bit. Um, I'm gonna, And then I'm going to go into their most well-known cases. I'm going to talk about the ones specifically that have been featured in their movies. The Conjuring movies and then Annabelle, of course. And then I'm also going to be talking about Amityville, the real-life story of Amityville. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about skeptics and what skeptics have to say about Ed and Lorraine Warren. And yeah, hopefully this is going to be a fun one. I personally am very proud of the research I did for this episode, so hopefully you guys and Katie enjoy listening. So, Lorraine Warren was born January 31st, 1927 in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And Ed Warren was born September 7th, 1926, in the same town. So he was a year older than her. Or actually, not a year older than her. Sorry, he was only like four months older than her. Um, The two met when they were both 16 years old at a movie theater. Lorraine was at the movie theater with her friends, and Ed worked there as an usher. They started dating soon after they met. However, pretty soon after they started dating... Ed left to go fight in World War II, but in 1945, when he was home, the two got married. After the war was over, Ed took art classes and started to sell his paintings on the roadside. Now, I mentioned that Lorraine was a clairvoyant and Ed was a demonologist, so I kind of want to talk about that. 
Lorraine had been having clairvoyant experiences since she was a child. And by clairvoyant experiences, I don't mean that, like, it wasn't to the extent that was depicted in the Conjuring movies. (laughs) She didn't see things so much as she could feel things. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, she could sense if there was a demonic presence in a home. Like, she had a creepy feeling about it, but not necessarily, like, well, I guess a distinct feeling about it. But, like, it wasn't, like like in the movies where she would see like full-bodied apparitions and things Mm -hmm. right at least that's what i understood from the extent of my research if somebody else um knows or understands more then please feel free to let me know but from the extent of my research about what lauren's abilities were that's what i understand okay so like she and i are like equally clairvoyant then (laughs) Mm, no well i don't think so like i get creepy vibes at places and stuff i think lots of people get creepy vibes but i think hers was like more turned up tuned like turned up a little yeah like she and also she was more practiced at it as well yeah whatever i i I know i know some ghosties she was able to distinguish between like a spirit and a demon apparently like supposedly um i mean that depends on your belief about what a spirit and a demon is but yeah well no yeah <laughs> but that's what she, but she believed in that you know i know like i'm she, I'm, I'm she saying felt this based like, on her beliefs yes she felt like, like she could determine mm-hmm, between and, right and this whole episode like their cases are all based on their beliefs right um but yeah well i mean pretty much every account of this stuff is from their perspective exactly and that's kind of a problem we're gonna run into later which we will absolutely get into but yes a lot of this stuff is completely based only on their accounts and not anybody else's now as for ed who later became a demonologist he grew up in a house that he thought was haunted and this kind of piqued his interest in the paranormal So he tells the story kind of about how when he was younger in this home, he heard his closet door opening at night. And so when he went to go look, he saw a face inside this closet. Okay. So like a, like a creepy little kid thing. Yeah. So like I mentioned, um, after the war was over, he started to sell his paintings on the roadside. So he got the idea to kind of merge his love for art with his fascination for the paranormal. And so when he and Lorraine would hear about a house that was haunted, Ed would go to this house, stand outside, paint the house, and then offer the painting in exchange for a tour of the potentially haunted house by the owners. Which and then he'd like, be like, this shit's haunted? They'd tell them, "Is this is haunted or this is not haunted. Yeah. This is Creaky Pipes, this is haunted. Right, exactly. Exactly, circa, like, the first Conjuring movie, yeah. Okay. These so guys were had- really just, I, I'm gonna say this, <laughs> they were just savvy business people. I don't even know that they were, like, I think they just were like, we could make money off this. Hell yeah, we could. Let's just make ourselves make money off of it. I mean, even if, let's say all of this stuff was fake, they were hella good at raking in the money, yeah. Hella good at it. Weird. 
I don't know what to think. Like, I'd, arg- I'd argue that they are probably the most famous ghost hunters yeah. that I know of personally, you know? Yeah, I mean... And they're looked at in a pretty good light generally by people who don't really look into them further because of the Conjuring movies and the way that, like, the like creators of the Conjuring movies have framed them. Like, James Wan did a great job at framing them in the Conjuring movies. I'm just gonna put it out there right now that I'm not going to be giving spoilers for any movie in the Conjuring series. So, if you haven't seen them, that's okay, but I will be kind of referencing it, but no spoilers. Because, believe it or not, the stories in real life are wildly different from the stories in the movies. <laughs> yes, very, very different. Very different. So yeah, when they would go in for these tours of potentially haunted houses, this is kind of when Lorraine's clairvoyant abilities would come in. So she talked about like how she would like to wander the home alone without everybody there because that's when her abilities would kind of she would be able to use them properly and specifically in bedrooms is when they would be able to use be used the most and how she would like to sit at the edge of beds so just an interesting little tidbit there but yeah so he would paint people's houses just stand outside houses that he thinks are haunted paint them they'd be like here's a painting of your house can i have a tour of this house that's fucking haunted for me and my wife Hey, babe, I would like to formally resign from both my day job and the podcast to mm-hmm. go paint strangers' houses because apparently that's a sound business model. Okay, I think that's dumb, but <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> I like how you can't even play along for five minutes. You're like, that's stupid. It's also fucking creepy, you yeah. know? Just, like, standing outside a stranger's home and painting it. That's just weird and creepy. But it worked for them because they were kind of gaining, like, attention. Like, people knew who... People started knowing who they were. People started trusting them. And so, in 1952, the couple formed the New England Society for Psychic Research to further help people who thought their homes were being haunted by ghosts or that they were being tormented by demons. So they no longer had to paint random people's homes. This was this society kind of helped people seek them out instead of having to seek people out themselves. And this also allowed others to kind of be under this society along with Ed and Lorraine Warren. And the New England Society for Psychic Research, or NESPER, as I'm probably going to be referring it, referring to it for the, end of, for the rest of this episode, is still a thing today. So if your shit's haunted, get your shit investigated, is the point here. Yes, maybe not by NESPER, but by something, by some people. So after NESPER was formed... Ed and Lorraine kind of had a policy that they had between the two of them that they wanted to be able to be available for people who had potential hauntings to answer their phone at all hours of the day. So, like, sometimes it would be, like, 3 o'clock in the morning and they would get a phone call about a haunting and they would still answer the phone because that was their policy. That is not the appropriate way to run a business. I operate between the hours of 9 (laughs) a.m. and 5 (laughs) p.m. 
In the span of their marriage, the Warrens investigated over 10,000 cases of suspected hauntings in the United States, Japan, Australia, and Europe. Now, that's a lot of fucking cases, but I just want to highlight the fact that those are 10,000 cases of suspected hauntings. A lot of those probably weren't haunted. They were just like called because Ed and Lorraine were kind of like middlemen between cases like haunting cases and the church. So like if people thought that they needed an exorcism, Ed and Lorraine would go in first before contacting the church. So they would go in and be like, yeah, this shit is fucking haunted, or no, this is not haunted. And And then that way the people would have evidence to, like, call the church, and then, like, they could get an exorcist. Because it's not just, like, a one and done. You can just get an exorcism anytime you want. Exactly. you have to go through proving it. And Ed and Lorraine were one way to, like, prove it for some people. Mm Mm-hmm, right. Now, Ed and Lorraine also refused to ever accept money from families that they were helping, and instead made money on a college lecture circuit that they went on talking about the paranormal, which is really fascinating to me that they made money going on a college lecture circuit talking about, like, haunted places that they investigated. I mean, there's not a degree for that, is there? What kind of, um... It was, they would just, like, go in as, like, guest lecturers. Like, you know how, like, sometimes you have, like, guest lecturers come in? Yeah, like, I, I understand the concept, but usually they were at least adjacent to, like, mm-hmm. some kind of literary or some kind of, you know, you would have, like, the psychology department would host one or, you know. Right. I have no idea. The ghost know, department? Is there a ghost department? I legit have no fucking idea but this Local is the 1950s so who knows <laughs> maybe they did maybe it was with their phrenology department and their fucking yeah. i don't know racist bullshit department oh my god <laughs> now they also started to later make more money as their cases gained notoriety and people wanted rights to the cases and to make books and movies about them so they really started raking in the money at that point obviously the conjuring movies are huge the amityville case is huge there's probably like 60 movies about the amityville case and the shit wasn't even haunted yeah and the conjuring movies like there's a whole spin-off series on the conjuring like there's a spin-off se- there's a spin-off series about annabelle there's like a whole conjuring universe that has nothing to do with reality like nothing based in reality at all like it's wild but they're making money from that or they were they're not alive anymore their kids are making money from that their kids are probably set for fucking ever Right, yeah. Yeah, their daughter is making money from that. Ed and Lorraine were Roman Catholic and very, very strongly believed that it was a lack of religion that allowed malevolent forces into one's home. Lorraine said to the Irish Independent in 2013, quote, When there is no religion, it is absolutely terrifying. That is your protection. God is your protection. It doesn't matter what your religion is, end quote. So, basically, she's saying, like, it doesn't matter what your religion is, but you need a religion to kind of protect you against any sort of malevolent force. Which is interesting to me that, like, she's saying it doesn't matter what the religion is, but, you know. 
I mean, I don't know many Catholics that would say that, but then again, I also don't know many Catholics, so. Yeah. Also, this was in 2013 when the first Conjuring movie was out, and she was making the rounds in interviews and things, and she probably was aware that if she said anything that was, like, super controversial, it would be really bad. Right. She's trying to promo a movie. She's not trying to offend people. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, the Warrens also opened an occult museum that ran out of their house, and they made money from this, too. But in this occult museum, they kept alleged cursed items from many of their cases. They frequently had the museum blessed. They had an organ that allegedly played on its own. The now infamous Annabelle doll, a tiger skin that is apparently... Um, responsible for like 30 deaths like just the skin of the tiger not the tiger itself and many many more objects and they keep this all in the occult museum and people go in and pay money to look at these objects to get their asses haunted as well is what you're saying yes yeah we're never going to one of those here's the thing right like all these podcasts and like people that do like you know murder podcasts or like anything to do with ghosts they're always like "Ooh, let's go let's go to the haunted place you will never catch me doing that shit i don't fuck with demons i don't fuck with ghosts oh yeah no katie and i are never gonna do anything like this we're never going to any place that's haunted ever i don't (laughs) fuck with demons i don't fuck with ghosts i love me a good story i love me a good you know like little bit of spookiness on my friday night that I can then compartmentalize and watch Disney movies after so that I don't, I'm able to sleep. Yup, I completely agree. This is why we work. Yeah. Now, Ed Warren passed away at the age of 79 in 2006, and Lorraine Warren passed away at the age of 92 in 2019. So, she lived for a pretty long time. So, that's kind of the introduction to who Ed and Lorraine Warren are. And now I kind of want to go into the cases that they investigated over the span of their 60-year marriage, which is a long-ass marriage, I just want to say. Yeah, good for them. So the first thing I'm going to, like, the first case I'm going to cover is Annabelle, the infamous Annabelle doll. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are aware of the Annabelle doll. She was featured in the first conjuring movie and now she has a whole spinoff series she is fucking terrifying i hate me a haunted doll hate a haunted doll i hate dolls in general the annabelle haunting happened in 1970 when annabelle was given to a nurse named donna for her 28th birthday by her mother donna's mother had bought it in a hobby shop and then given it to donna so donna bought brought the doll back to her apartment that she shared with another nurse, Angie. And pretty soon, they started to notice that the doll had begun to move on its own. Absolutely not. (laughs) They would leave the room and come back, and it would be in a different spot. Nope. Or it would be standing up instead of sitting down, or like weird fucking things like that. Mm Mm-mm. They then started to find notes left by Annabelle in the apartment that said, Help me. These notes were written on parchment paper, which they allegedly did not even keep in the apartment. 
that's a nope from me. I know. It doesn't... If that's not a doll, you have a stalker. That's, like, right. bad, bad omens all around. Like, you shouldn't right. be finding notes from no one. My first thought wouldn't be haunted doll. My first thought would be, oh, somebody's fucking breaking into the apartment and stalking me. Right. But I just want to say that, like, quickly, like, a side note, that the Annabelle doll in real life looks nothing like the Annabelle doll in the movies. The Annabelle doll in the movie movies is, like, this, like, antique doll. She looks like a haunted doll. She's, like, chips on her face, and she, like, has these evil fucking eyes, and, like, no kid would ever want her. Yeah, no. But the Annabelle doll in real life is just, like, a regular rag doll. Like, yeah. a normal-ass rag doll, which makes her, in my opinion, even creepier. Yeah, I agree. I mean, she's, it's, when you look at her, you're like, it, she just looks like any other rag doll. She looks like any other rag doll, but I get, it just creeps me out more because, like, any kid would have that doll. We'll post pictures of the real Annabelle doll on our Instagram, which will be linked in our show notes. So, some of these help me notes even had blood on them, apparently, which is fucking weird. Again, just a creepy stalker. Why are you bleeding on shit and giving it to me? Right. But Angie and Donna kind of were like, no, this doll is haunted. And so they decided to take action and got a medium to come to their apartment to hold a seance. This medium told them that the doll was being inhabited by a spirit named Annabelle Higgins. This spirit was of a seven-year-old girl whose body had been found had allegedly been found years before in the same area that the apartment building the two girls were living in was built. The medium told them that the spirit of Annabelle was a benevolent one and craved love and to be cared for. And she told them that the spirit wanted consent to be allowed into the doll, to have permanent residence inside the doll, in order to kind of like have a home and so the girls felt pity for the spirit and sympathy for the spirit and they allowed the spirit of annabelle to have permanent residence inside the doll here's the thing ghosts are fine whatever most of the time ghosts are just like on a feedback loop where like they do the same shit over and over again. Like, most ghosts don't fuck with you. They don't want attention from you. They don't want to bother you. They're just, like, living their daily lives. They may not even be aware that you exist, right? Right. If anything is asking for your attention, asking for your permission for anything, fucking with your shit, like, that's not a spirit that you want around. That's not a spirit you want to like acknowledge in any way you want to get that shit gone you want to have somebody come get rid of the fucking poltergeist or the demon because it's not it's not a friendly it's not casper casper doesn't exist yeah i completely agree but these girls didn't fucking know that um they were not well versed in like what a spirit or a demon or anything like that was and so they allowed Annabelle to have permanent residence inside the doll and the experiences with Annabelle continued to get worse. So she continued to move around, the notes continued to be left, 
And Angie's friend, Lou, was particularly hated by Annabelle. One day, while in the apartment, while Donna was gone, he heard rustling in Donna's room. So when he went to check it out, he found Annabelle lying face down on the floor. He then felt a pain on his chest and found bloody claw marks on his chest. Then these marks disappeared completely without a trace two days later. So all right that's totally casual and exactly how Mm -hmm. claw marks work yeah (laughs) another time he was awoken from a nap and i'm assuming he was having some sort of like sleep paralysis moment couldn't move and allegedly the annabelle doll was like crawling up his chest Mm -mm, i'm good and like was like fucking strangling him nope i'm good i'm good i'm good actually this is like a really cartoonish imagining like a ragdoll strangling like a grown-ass man Uh, yeah you know that's honestly if you hadn't said that i'd have been really creeped out but now i'm picturing it and it's like kind of (laughs) lame yeah no wonder they went with a creepier doll for the movies i know but donna and angie were now desperate they kind of realize now that this wasn't like a fucking seven-year-old girl's spirit that they fucked up yeah so they contacted an episcopal priest father hagen and from there ed and lorraine were contacted so mr episcopal priest calls ed and lorraine he's like y'all know more about spirits than i do and then they're Mm -hmm. headed to go figure things out and hopefully get like a different kind of priest or like an exorcist priest well, Father Hagen is the one that ends up doing the exorcism, so it's weird. So but, maybe yeah. that's why it didn't work. They didn't have a Catholic priest out there. That's on them, really. So, I didn't know. Well, it was Father Hagen and another priest that did the exorcism. Okay, so m- maybe it was. Well, I feel like a Catholic probably wouldn't be like chill. I don't know. I don't know. So, Ed and Lorraine were apparently immediately interested in the case, and after talking with Donna, Angie, and Lou, they determined it was not the spirit of a seven-year-old girl possessing the Annabelle doll. You don't say. Yeah. So, from the from the Nesper website, it says, quote, Spirits do not possess inanimate objects like houses or toys. They possess people. An inhuman spirit can attach itself to a place or object, and this is what occurred in the Annabelle case. The spirit manipulated the doll and created the illusion of it being alive in order to get recognition, end quote. So, like, it was attached to the doll and manipulating the doll, but it was never possessing the doll. The Warrens claimed that if the incidents had been allowed to go on for two to three more weeks, the entity would have probably possessed someone living in the apartment or even killed or seriously hurt one of them. God. Yeah, so like, they're saying that this is pretty serious. Now, they ordered an exorcism of the apartment, and then the Warrens took the doll with them. The Warrens believed that the exorcism would kind of clear the demon completely out, but they were wrong because the exorcism had not worked. And they knew this because when the Warrens were driving the doll away in their car, the brakes stalled or failed multiple times, causing near crashes. Oh, God. 
Yeah. And apparently, once Ed doused the doll with holy water, the brake failures stopped. Weird. Annabelle was initially placed in the Warrens' home in Ed's study, where it would levitate, and then it began to move around their home. Just Annabelle chilling in the kitchen table, like, at the dining table. Where's my food? (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) Um... You don't get to eat with us. You were never invited. Okay, thanks, bye. (laughs) Even when they tried to lock Annabelle in an outer office building, she would still show up in the main house sitting on chairs. Nope. Um, Yeah. So they decided to keep Annabelle in their occult museum in a special case that they had built for her. We will also post a picture of this case on our Instagram, but it has a cross on it and a sign that said warning positively do not open and until ed died he periodically said a binding prayer over the case okay nothing makes me want to open something more than a note that says do not open even in like a place that's like full of haunted shit no i'm I'm just saying like what if like i don't know they get like an earthquake that happens or something and like Mm -hmm someone is going through there that shouldn't like isn't aware of what's going on doesn't really understand what they're looking at and like nothing nothing makes me want to open a box that says like do not open or more than a sign that says do not open you know like i just want to know what's inside i just want to understand why i can't open it and why it's dangerous well that's fucking true then you unleash annabelle (laughs) bro i don't want annabelle yeah Um, but apparently after moving her in there, she doesn't move or levitate anymore. Okay, well, I mean, good good. for them. Yeah. Now, even though Annabelle is locked up and apparently, like, not doing a lot of stuff anymore, it is still thought that she is responsible for at least one death and two accidents. Yikes. Yeah. So, once before locking Annabelle up in their occult museum, a priest was over at the Warren's home, reportedly picked Annabelle up and said, quote, You're just a ragdoll, Annabelle. You can't hurt anyone, end quote. And then threw her on the couch. Famous last words. Um, Lorraine apparently pleaded with him to drive carefully, as she had felt that a tragedy would occur to him after mocking the doll. Hours later, they got a call from him saying that his brakes had failed just as he was entering a busy intersection and his car had been totaled. Sounds like these people just need to do their brakes more often. Yeah, literally. Um, like, but apparently, like, this accident could have been fatal. I mean, that sucks, but again, get your brakes checked, bro. Yeah. He claimed that he saw Annabelle in the rearview mirror right before the accident happened. That's creepy. Don't like that. Like, I think the last thing I would ever want to see in my rearview mirror would be Annabelle. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm actually good. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, now once after being placed in the occult museum, a man who was visiting with his girlfriend mocked the doll by banging on the case. He was saying that if Annabelle could put scratches on people, he would. He also wanted to be scratched. Kinky. Oh my god, babe. Oh. I mean, you're right, but god. <laughs> Ed, of course, told them to leave. 
But unfortunately, on the way home, him and his girlfriend were making fun of Annabelle when he lost control of his motorcycle and crashed into a tree. He was instantly killed and his girlfriend survived, but just barely. That's fucking awful. Yeah. But those are the three incidents that Annabelle is apparently said to be responsible for. Or the two incidents, sorry. I do want to note, though, that the priests who did the alleged exorcism of the apartment never mentioned it later. The two nurses, or Lou, never came forward on their own. The names used in the story are fake ones. And the names of the priests and motorcyclists who were in the accidents were never given. So we are relying solely on the retelling of Ed and Lorraine Warren. So there's like no evidence for any of this? No. The only piece of evidence we have is the Annabelle doll itself, which is not really evidence. It's just like a fucking rag doll and Ed and Lorraine's word. So they could just be making this 110% up. Like it's not like you just buy a doll off the side of the road, put it in a glass box and suddenly you're a millionaire. Right. And the thing is like lots of ghost stories are like that. I think like lots of ghost stories are like, well, they could just be making it all up. But my thing is like, yeah, lots of ghost stories are like, you could just be making it all up. But with lots of ghost stories, people don't become like fucking millionaires because of it. I mean, yeah, her kid or their kids are fucking set. Like, right. Three, three like primary movies and then a whole other franchise. Like, no way. Yeah. Yeah, so their daughter, Judy, is, like, sad. Yeah. They only have one kid, but yeah. Now, after both of their deaths, the story of Annabelle has been kept alive by their daughter, Judy, and son-in-law, Tony Spera. Bro, I would keep it alive. If people were, like, paying me money, absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm. I would say whatever weird shit my parents used to say, I wouldn't even care. Yeah. I mean, Tony Spera, like, talks about Annabelle kind of a lot. <laughs> I would talk about Annabelle a lot. Yeah. Um, I do want to say, Tony Spera was kind of considered by Ed to be his protege in demonology. And Tony Spera is the one who took over Nesper and kind of the occult museum, not Judy. Which was kind of weird for me at first when I was doing the research, but then I realized that it was because Tony Sparrow was Ed's protege in demonology. So that's why. In August of 2020, rumors spread on social media that Annabelle had somehow escaped from the occult museum. These rumors turned out to be fake though, as Tony Sparrow posted a video of himself inside the museum next to the real Annabelle doll. I don't know why these rumors spread, like what for but i think it was just like it's 2020 what else can fucking go wrong oh yeah the fucking demon doll gets loose yeah you know so yeah fun rumors but turned out to be fake and yeah that's the last we know about annabelle that's the last thing we've heard about her she's just chilling in her case and yeah that's annabelle who knows if it's real who knows if it's fake we will talk at the very end about all of these cases and whether we think they're real or they're fake but yeah Next, we're going to talk about the real-life story of The Conjuring Movie, also known as The Perrin Family Haunting. Okay. In January 1971, the Perrin family moved into a farmhouse in Rhode Island. This was Carolyn, Roger, and their five daughters. So, 
a lot of kids. Yeah. Pretty much immediately, strange things began to happen. Things would go missing or move from place to place. The the kids would also notice friendly spirits around the house. They weren't really threatened by a lot of the spirits. They would just, like, notice weird shit was happening. Apparently, Carolyn took it upon herself to research the history of the farmhouse and found that it had previously been in the same family for eight generations and a lot of people had died from mysterious or really terrible reasons. Many children had drowned in a creek nearby, one had been murdered, and someone had hanged themselves in an attic. Yikes. Yeah. Now, Bathsheba was one spirit that was not friendly at all. This was apparently the worst spirit of them all. Bathsheba resented Carolyn and saw her as a threat. Bathsheba kind of apparently wanted to be the mistress of the home. That's why she saw Carolyn as a threat. Apparently, there was a real person named Bathsheba Sherman that lived on the property in the 1800s. There were rumors and some evidence at the time that she was involved in the death of a neighbor's child. However, there was never a trial, so we cannot say for sure. I want to say that we cannot say for sure because in the Conjuring movie, they're like, yeah, she fucking killed a kid. And they, like, use her real name and shit in the Conjuring movie, and it's just like, no, we don't fucking know. Well, and I feel like also they exaggerate a lot of it and say that it's like a cult and there's no evidence for it being a cult right yeah and like also there were rumors that she was a satanist but also this was like the 1800s everybody who like didn't live up to every single part of society standards was a satanist in the 1800s (laughs) right so like we were satanists so literally we were we would have been satanists like we would have been burned at the stake. So, we're like, gay and we're women? Dead. Over. Dead. Done. Literally. So, it means nothing to me when they say that she was, like, possibly a Satanist. Like, I don't give a fuck. Also, like, I would just like to know, in what world, like, there, yes, there are some Satanists, but, like, there are very, very, very few Mm-hmm. Of, like, the, like, kind that actually think they're worshipping Satan. Most Satanists are just people who are looking for religious liberty and kind of using, like, Satanism and the Church of Satan as a way to fight for that. Like, you know, when they try to put Ten Commandments in fucking courthouses, they're like, cool, well, we want to do a statue to Satan, so... And then right. it ba- makes the Christians back off because, you know, whatever. That Most of them are not, like hail satan for real like they do it but they don't it's not it doesn't mean i don't know it's not they don't actually think they're talking to satan exactly now so like i feel like the movies specifically were like and ed and lorraine definitely had a part in this where like they both were like oh this chick was a satanist and potentially killed a kid like whoa big bad haunting right and like potentially she might have been the worst spirit of them all but she also like might not have killed a kid and probably wasn't a fucking satanist right like this is an actual person whose name you're like slandering slandering yes after they're dead and can't defend themselves like Like, this is a real person 
who really lived on this earth and you did not know them right like disrespectful mm-hmm and see like, it's I, it's this kind of shit that makes me like mm, were they faking right right exactly anyways other than bathsheba other spirits would do things like cause the beds to rise off the floor and cause something that smelled like rotting flesh in the home so not very pleasant in the basement once you entered you would feel like a cold sinking presence the family did their best to avoid going into the basement however a lot of the time heating equipment would fail like very mysteriously forcing roger to go into the basement to fix it ed and lorraine made multiple trips to investigate the parents farmhouse however they were not nearly as involved as the movie would have you believe which is kind of going to be a recurring theme for the rest of these cases one time though lorraine conducted a seance to try to contact the spirits in the home and at this time carolyn was apparently possessed and began to speak in tongues rising from the ground in her chair. After this seance, the Warrens were kicked out by Roger because he was worried about Carolyn's mental health, which is valid, I think, if your wife is, like, possessed. But the crazy thing, the craziest part of this case to me is that the family lived in the farmhouse for a full 10 years, despite the hauntings. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. They did this because of, like, serious financial instability. So they couldn't move out until 1980. Um, I cannot imagine living in a haunted house for 10 years, but they, like, they legitimately could not move out. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's easy to, like, say, like, oh, if my house is haunted, I'm just gonna leave it, and I say that quite often. But Mm -hmm. if you bought a house you're sinking so much money into it you may not be able to recoup that cost if you sell it and like you're it's a bad like financial move to sell it exactly uh, in under 10 years really like the reality is like nobody wanted to buy the house from them nobody wanted it and like they had no money to buy another house because they were a big family too it's not like they could just like move into like a small apartment right as for like actual evidence for this case there is witnesses obviously the whole family said the whole time that like even after they moved out that the house was haunted like they always maintained it and andrea perrin the oldest daughter wrote three books about the haunting but Um, they also have something to gain from writing about the haunting exactly which is kind of why i'm I'm like "Eh, maybe maybe not i'm not totally sure but i did read andrea perrin's first book it's called house of darkness house of light i read it years ago though i read it when i was like 16 years old it was all right it was not that good but whatever she did not need to make three books that's all i'm gonna fucking say based (laughs) on what i read from the first book she did not need to make three books yeah um like it could have been done in one book because yeah it was just like like they lived there for 10 years but they could have done it in one book yeah okay that sucks i was hoping it'd be good no it was not that good like it was all right like it was a fine book but yeah So that's the Conjuring real story. Now we're going to move on to the story of Amityville. Probably 
arguably one of the not just the warren's most famous case but one of the most famous hauntings ever probably yeah infamous i should say yeah so amityville new york i kind of want to do a full episode on the amityville case so not just the haunting part but the true crime part so i'm gonna give like a super quick backstory of the true crime part and then quickly move to the haunting part and the ed and lauren warren part so six members of the defoe family had been murdered and ronald defoe was arrested and convicted for murdering his father mother two sisters and two brothers however he swore he had not been home the time of the murders so that's the true crime part very quick when a new family the lutzes moved into the amityville home the hauntings were reported doors were ripped from hinges cabinets were set to slam apparently insects attacked members of the family and even a demonic face with glowing red eyes peered into the home at night green slime apparently oozed from the keyholes I'm not big on ectoplasm. I don't know that I buy that. I don't think I do. It's just like some things are just too much. Well, it's like honest. I'm I I can get you get behind you being like there's something paranormal, something creepy here, but it's not going to like make physical things. Yeah. Even the insects attacking members of the family. Like what the fuck is that shit? What does that mean? Like did they get stung by a bee? Ooh, I no, got stung like by a bee. Of, apparently, it was like swarms of flies who would just like attack them. Attack? Did they harm them in any way? Were they just no, annoying? No, they would just like annoy them, like swarm them. All right, whatever. Yeah. To each um, their own. So this escalated really quick. So like within days, all of this shit was happening. So apparently, the Lutzes were desperate for help. So they called a priest to their home. This priest apparently was driven out of their home when a demonic voice yelled, get out, and left blisters on the priest's hands. Flash to some guy yelling from up the stairs, get the fuck out of my house! Literally! And then, and then the fucking, they just like hand him a tea kettle that's like hot. He's like, ah, fuck. Oh my god, stop. I gotta go. oh my god this priest by the way has never ever come forward about like saying that this ever happened this is just like all the let's word of mouth okay ad and lorraine warren were eventually called to the home and quickly decided that a demonic presence was in the home and that an exorcism needed to be performed so they came in and they left after saying there's a demon here and then they just like eat it out now the lutzes only lived in the home for 28 days so they didn't really have time to do an exorcism because they were only there for 28 days because apparently the hauntings had gotten so bad okay shortly after the lutzes moved out they started working with the author jay anson to come out with a best-selling novel about the Amityville haunting. And this novel did amazingly well. People were eating that shit up because obviously the true crime case had been big, like the son kills his whole family and now a new family moves in and gets haunted by potentially the ghosts of that family, you know? I mean... Or 
even better the son wasn't even responsible for the family's death the son was was possessed by demons and made him kill his family and now those demons are haunting this new family you know yeah i mean here's the thing this has got to be the fucking smartest financial decision they could possibly make Mm Mhm. oh yeah like yeah you let's hypothetically say you don't have a ton of money for a house you're just looking for any house you see one that comes on the market and you're like cool and then you find out oh the last guy that lived here murdered his entire family so you're like i really don't want to live here for that long i would really prefer if i could live somewhere else so i'm gonna pretend it's fucking haunted and then i'm gonna you know get a fucking best-selling novel out of it and now all of a sudden i'm rich off of living in a fucking house and that's exactly what these goddamn people did well i haven't gotten to that but yes (laughs) (laughs) So, many people were skeptical of the Amityville story, even though the novel was, like, doing very well, because there seemed to be many discrepancies. So, even though they claimed extensive damage had been done to their doors, the original locks, doorknobs, and hinges had been completely untouched. Also, in the book, it was said that the Lutzes called the police to their home, even though in reality, they never once called the police. Cool, so so they're just lying. Yes. So in re- so there was many many more big and little discrepancies. So eventually Ronald Defoe's lawyer finally admitted that he and the Lutzes had fabricated the entire thing together. Bro. And then Jay Anson embellished more things for his book. And then screenwriters added even more for the movies. Bro. So the reason that Ronald Defoe's lawyer wanted to be in on this is because, like I kind of mentioned earlier, is because he wanted to be able to make the argument that Ronald Defoe had been possessed or... Haunted. Haunted or whatever by the spirits or demons that were in the home that led him to murdering his family so he wasn't really responsible for murdering his family and the lutzes obviously wanted to make all this up so they could get rich right and they were successful yeah and then jay anson was obviously in it so he could get money and become a famous author now ronald defoe's lawyer apparently told the lutzes that the murder took place around 3 a.m And so Kathy Lutz said, well, that's good. I can say I'm awakened by noises at that hour of the day. And I could say I had dreams at that hour of the day about the Defoe family. Yikes. So this was like super, super like well planned out by them. Like premeditated. They knew what they were doing. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So like Amityville has been debunked. Everybody fucking knows that Amityville is fake. Everybody except Ed and Lorraine Warren, apparently. Right. So, what were Ed and Lorraine's accounts? Apparently, during the investigation, Ed claimed to have been pushed to the floor while using religious provocation aimed at the spirits in the basement. Lorraine was overwhelmed by the feeling of there being a demonic presence in the home. Ed and Lorraine Warren 
discovered, apparently, that the home had been built on land that, even prior to the Defoe murders, people had died on, and that the house had been built on. And then the two claims that such a negative history was a magnet for demonic spirits. And they thought it was this energy that impacted Ronald Defoe even before the Lutzes moved in. So they thought that he was being impacted by the spirits and that's what led him kind of to murder his family. Okay. Now, even though the accounts the Lutzes claimed have been disproven time and time again, the Warrens, specifically Ed, refused to let go of what they believed what was was in the Amityville house. Like, refuse, refuse, refuse to be like, yeah, okay, this one was fake, this one was fake, it's fine, you know? Right. Like, apparently, the Amityville case, they, they've said this, was one that was said to affect the Warrens personally more than any one of their cases in the long term because apparently it was so fucking haunted. Alrighty then. Yeah. So this is kind of one case that really leaves a sour taste in my mouth in regards like in regards to the Warrens because like it was disproven. Like there's no doubt that it was fucking fake, but they still refused to let go of the fact that it was real in their minds. Yeah. But anyways. The last case we're going to talk about is the case of the Enfield Poltergeist, also the case that was featured in the second Conjuring movie. Okay. So, this is in Enfield, London, 1977. Peggy Hodgson, a single mother of four children, began to hear loud noises from her two daughters' bedroom one night. Her daughters' names were Margaret, who was 12, and Janet, who was 11. When she went inside to tell them to be quiet, she found them huddled in a corner of the room, looking terrified. The girls told their mom that the chest of drawers had been moving towards the bedroom door on its own. And initially, Peggy was like, yeah, okay, what the fuck? But then the chest began to move once more in front of Peggy as if trying to trap them in the room. Peggy attempted to push against the dresser, but it would not move. So this obviously freaked her out. Yeah. So Peggy took the girls and her other son, her fourth son was away at school, and the family ran across the street to get help from their neighbors. When one of the neighbors went to investigate and also heard strange noises, they decided to call the police. When the police arrived, one claimed to see a chair move clear across a room and quickly decided that it was not something the police could help with. Which, like, fair. If I was a police officer and someone called me to investigate a haunting, I'd be like, yes, sorry. This this is not my area of expertise. Like, I'm good. I don't need to come home to my family haunted. So you're, you're fine. Exactly. Now, even after this, the incidents continued to occur. And so Peggy called the Daily Mirror, apparently, so they could, like, come and investigate and so that her story would gain more traction so that other people who are, like, well-versed in, like, paranormal things could come and investigate the home. And while this reporter for the Daily Mirror was in the home, a Lego flew across the room and hit the reporter above the eye. Oh, I'm good. Nope. 
I'm good. Mm-hmm. At this point, someone from the Society for Psychical Research was sent to the home to help investigate. This man, Maurice Gross, claimed to have witnessed over 2,000 incidents of supernatural activity over the course of the year and a half haunting. Right. So this was things like furniture turning over, levitation, fires starting spontaneously, etc. That's Um, scary. Not a fan of fires starting on their own. Me either. The poltergeist then began to speak through Janet. Janet would kind of go into a trance and then start to speak in a deeper, scratchy voice and then claim to be someone by the name of Bill Wilkins. So, Bill Wilkins had died in the house years prior of a hemorrhage sitting in the living room. And so, she was kind of being like possessed or whatever by Bill Wilkins and he would speak through Janet. Right. In the year and a half that the haunting was happening, Ed and Lorraine Warren did in fact visit the home and they stated publicly that they were sure something supernatural was happening inside the home. However, their visit was an unannounced one as they had not been invited to the home and as a result, they were only allowed to stay for one day. Everybody was like, what the hell are you doing here? We did not ask you to be here. We do not want you here. Which like, valid yeah between this one and the amityville one i really don't trust them because it's like they're clout chasing almost you know there's a haunting that's getting a lot of news and traction and so they're like hey let us come take a look right and then they state publicly there's something supernatural right and now they're the ones that are making or i guess they're not the ones but like now there's like a like a big movie the conjuring 2 about this and they're the ones that are like getting all the fucking credit for it even though they weren't even part of the case really right like they weren't the ones that did any of the like real work that actually happened exactly like they had no part in it at all now apparently the hauntings calmed down after a priest visited the home in 1978 which is good however the hauntings never really completely stopped ever Noises could still be heard, and it kind of always felt like you were being watched in the home. Peggy lived in the home until she passed away, and the family that moved in afterwards also claimed that it was haunted. They always felt like someone was watching them. They would wake up at night hearing voices, and one night, one of the kids woke up seeing a man entering his room. No, I'm good. Yeah, and that was kind of the incident that broke the camel's back because that family only lasted in the home for two months yeah that's fair yeah like if i woke up seeing like a fucking strange man entering my room i would i would leave (laughs) yeah like i'm good i'm actually don't need that now many many people believe that the entire haunting is fake because the children were once caught bending spoons themselves okay um Later, Janet admitted that the kids did fabricate some of it, saying, quote, once or twice we faked it just to see if they would catch us. They always did. But she has maintained that the majority of the incidents were real. Also, there's that photo of her levitating. 
I will post a picture of it on her Instagram, but I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with this photo of her levitating in her red pajamas. Kind of looks like she's just jumping off her bed, but this was a, a photo that was kind of circulating around that was like her quote-unquote levitating. I don't know. I don't buy it as her levitating though. I would like more information about like how the picture was taken, like what the method was, who took it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, I don't know. I mean... If they were going to fake it, I think they'd fake it more convincingly, unless it yeah. is, like, a somehow she is, like, setting the timer on the camera, jumping, and then that's, like, her making the picture, you know? I wouldn't say that this is, like, a institutionally faked, like, they were, like, trying, you know, like, the even her mom was in on it. I would say, like, either this is faked by the kids or it's, like, real. yeah. She's maintained that the majority of the incidents were real, even if they were caught, like, a couple of times faking it, so, like, who knows? And her and her sister, Margaret, have, like, talked about the trauma coming out of growing up in a haunted home. Right. So, who knows? And then there's also the family that, like, moved in afterwards saying that it was haunted, so who knows? Right. I don't know. All I know is I don't know about Ed and Lorraine coming in and like clout chasing yeah to me it's it's very much like a clout chasing thing to try and like get like get more attention and like get more notoriety and see to me this kind of behavior is what makes me skeptical it's like why do you need to go around clout chasing and trying to gain notoriety and like showing up where you aren't asked if you're actually like doing what you're doing I completely agree. Like, if they were just doing it because that's what they wanted to be doing, like, why do they need to do shit like this? Right. And especially, like, when there's somebody already on the case. And I know that, like, mm-hmm. obviously everybody thinks they're the best at what they do, but, like, I don't know. To me, it's just very, like, we're just trying to get more notoriety and more attention. Right. And so Janet has stated that she was, like, really, really unhappy when she found out about The Conjuring 2 coming out. I mean, that's valid. Yeah, I really don't blame her at all. But yeah, so those are the cases that we're going to cover. I want to go into skeptics specifically now. Kate and I have kind of been circling around this topic throughout the episode. But we're going to talk, I want to talk about like specific skeptics, specifically two skeptics and what their view on the Warrens are. So Stephen Novella who is a neurologist, and Perry DeAngelis, who is a podcaster, investigated the Warrens for the New England Skeptical Society, or Ness, in 1977. So the New England Skeptical Society is apparently a non-profit organization that promotes science and reason. So they went in, these two went in for Ness to investigate Ed and Lorraine Warren to see if there is any, like, scientific basis or reasonable basis for people to believe Ed and Lorraine Warren and whether any of their evidence, if they had any evidence, and if any of their evidence could stand up to scrutiny. So, basically, they found that Ed and Lorraine Warren were both extremely nice and sincere people who had absolutely no evidence that stood up to scrutiny. One of the first questions asked to them by Ed was whether or not they believed in God, which I felt kind of weird about, but then I was like, 
I was reading what they said, and they said that it was because Ed believes that in order to understand what he and Lorraine do, you kind of need to believe in God. Right. Which, so that makes sense to me, but, like, it's just, like, a weird thing to ask also. Now, photographic evidence is the majority of the Warrens' physical evidence, but most of their photographic evidence is just blobs of light that these people from Ness determined just happened because of, like, flashback errors or things, like, when they were taking the photos. Okay. Or, like, in some cases, it was, like, the headlights of cars in a photo. Okay. Like, when they, like, actually looked at the photo closer. So, like, none of the photos were really actual ghosts. It was just, like, regular things that cameras do that the Warrens just, like, either didn't understand or chose to ignore. Like, to misrepresent. Exactly. And they said... Ness, these people from Ness said, quote, In the final analysis, the field of research into spiritual and ghostly phenomena lacks any scientific rigor. The field is fully and unreservedly a pseudoscience. The Warrens and their colleagues pay lip service to scientific principle, but when confronted with the lack of scientific quality to their methods and evidence, they typically retreat, end quote. Which really stands out to me because Ed Warren really talks a big game about having data and like having tons of evidence and like really relying on evidence more than other like ghostbusters or whatever but like he refuses to accept anybody like scrutinizing his evidence you know yeah i mean i think it's hard probably to have your like livelihood questioned especially like by somebody who seems to be doing it genuinely but i don't know it's it's just kind of weird i feel like because they make so much money at it and there's no like tangible proof that they're doing anything a and b like their potential for harm is kind of high like there are people that have died during exorcisms so right so ness kind of brings up a good point in that they were talking about this one girl who ed and lorraine kind of went in because their parents her parents called them in and ed and lorraine said that she was possessed by a demon and that she would need an exorcism and then her parents also took this girl to a doctor and it turned out that she had a mental illness she was not possessed by a demon and then the doctor was like please do not contact ed and lorraine again and the girl actually got the help that she needed from this doctor instead and it's just like things like that where it's like you don't really consider the harm that they could be doing unless you like think about cases like that right there's also one more thing i wanted to bring up was um this is very alleged i have no idea how true this is if it's even true this is just something that i read about in one of the many many articles that i read this was just in one of them but and this is like just one person who said it but apparently during the enfield poltergeist case when ed and lorraine warren went there apparently ed told one of the investigators there that they could make a lot of money from the case like the investigator could make a lot of money from the case yikes yeah 
which if true it's pretty damning it's pretty damning and goes along with this with kind of what you and i have been saying this whole episode about how we don't know if like any of these are true because there's not really any evidence for any of it and if there are witnesses every single witness has something to gain from it right so because the only witness we really have are like the one on like the ones in like the parent family haunting where like andrea parent also like wrote a fucking book right and like the enfield poltergeist is like maybe one that's kind of true potentially but like the warrens had nothing to do with it yet they're still the ones that get all the credit for it right yikes see i think that's the thing to me is it's very like i i can i'm either here or there like i don't it's hard for me to make a 100% solid determination, but I do see where a lot of people are, like, skeptical and don't think that it's true. Yeah, same here. I don't know. But everybody who meets Ed and Lauren say that, like, said that, they seem to be very sincere people. So, like, maybe they do think that they're doing the right thing. I'm not sure. Like, I really... I don't know. I don't know. I mean... I feel like the last time we talked about this, I was like, there's room for them to be both. Like, they could be trying to help people in the way that they know how or, and like, you know, doing the right, trying to do the right thing, but they're misguided. But I don't know that I necessarily, after like thinking and marinating a little bit longer on the quotes and the things that they say and do, like, I don't know that I agree with myself. Like, I think that some of the things that they've gotten caught saying and doing it just makes them look like they're clout chasing money hungry not necessarily caring about the evidence caring about the people but more caring about like what the people can do for them i agree if anything they seem like maybe lorraine does have some sort of clairvoyant ability maybe but it seems like they abandoned that at some point and just turn into business people yeah at the end of the day i think that that's what they were is business people and like you they may have been providing somewhat of a service right yeah in, like in, comforting people yeah and as, if you if you think you're haunted you need somebody who's gonna validate that and mm-hmm. take care of it for you right right and like it maybe if somebody does an exorcism on your house Every time the pipe squeaks or whatever happens, you're going to be able to rest in your mind and say, well, it's just a pipe squeak. It's just a whatever, rather than still being paranoid about a haunting where, you know, if you didn't have that, you wouldn't have the peace of mind. Right. But to me, it's like, I don't know that you can justify that 100%, that type of a thing 100% when they're going places they're not wanted and they're doing kind of shady things to try and get you know more notoriety and more money yeah i don't know complicated feelings about the warrens complicated feelings very complicated but we want to hear what you guys think be sure to let us know um you can let us know at our instagram at fatal tales or on our twitter at 
Fatal Tales pod. We will also have lots of pictures, like lots and lots of pictures from this case over on our Instagram, so be sure to follow us there. Those links will be in our show notes, and so will all the sources that I used for this case. So you can also send us an email at fatal at gmail.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star review and rating on the Apple Podcast app. That helps us a lot. And remember, guys, be gay and don't do crimes. Or at least don't get caught. Bye, guys.